Stay tuned for The Lynn Show. Today, I'm airing an interview with journalist, poet, bookstore entrepreneur, Georgia Court. Any of you who are familiar with Bookstore One, our only independent bookstore here in Sarasota, are also familiar with Georgia Court, whose instigation is responsible for our having an independent bookstore. In this interview, you will hear Georgia speak not only about her early life, but why it seemed necessary to her to create Bookstore One and all of the wonderful things that she has made possible for this community within that establishment. So hang on, here come the show. Hearing from an inner voice Finding choice Not the person other people are. Not the person you think you have to be or should be. Not the person someone told you you had to be or even told you you were. Not even the person you may currently think you are, but the person you really are. Unfortunately, a lot of people have experiences in their childhoods which discourage them from being some aspect of themselves. 
Some behavior or interest or talent or idiosyncrasy doesn't go down well in a family of origin or in a schoolroom or in a cultural or religious organization. And children learn quickly what brings a consequence they don't want and are often capable of pretending that this thing doesn't exist. They aren't that. And they can get so good at the pretense that they come into adulthood having forgotten something essential about themselves. In my shows, I interview people who make their living or their life with an art. Because when you listen to them, you can hear what it sounds like to be who you really are. In this interview with Georgia Court, what you hear is a woman who fell in love early with words and the importance of truth and integrity. And she has spent her life pursuing both. A life which inspired her to create Bookstore One, which is dedicated to both words and honesty. It's a really interesting story, and here now to tell it is Georgia Court. Okay, I'm here with Georgia Court, and I am explaining to Georgia that I interview people who make their living or their life within art. For probably 35, 38 years, I have been writing primarily either in a journalistic way, because I am a trained journalist and that is what I do, or, you know, more recently writing poetry and doing things that are a little, a little more artsy, you might say, <laughs> than that world of journalism and public relations that I lived in for a while. Okay, so you, it would be accurate to say that you have um, given your life and made your living with the art of writing. Correct. Good. Yes. Okay. So I only have one question. Do you remember and can you tell me the very first time that writing or stories drew you, became interesting to you? Well, I can remember the first poem that I wrote. I mean, I can't re recall it to, uh, to read it and I can't even find it now. But I was in high school, I guess, maybe late middle school. <clears throat> and there was a story in the news about Abraham Lincoln being exhumed, his body being exhumed, and it was going to be reburied in concrete because grave robbers over the years had come to take this body. And I wrote a poem about that. <laughs> and I wish I could find it. And I wish I could recall it, but that was the first poem that I wrote that I liked, that I thought, hmm, this is an interesting way to write about these things. I'm making the assumption that you had heard poems or somebody sure. had, okay, well, yeah. do you remember that, where that started? Well, that, start, that certainly started in elementary school. I was like, you know, I'm of a generation when talented women went into nursing or teaching sometimes secretarial. So you got really good teachers in the schools, really talented people. So I was lucky to have really wonderful teachers who all the way from first grade, we didn't have kindergarten where I lived, from first grade all the way through high school really made me and others excited about the written word, about poetry, about uh, stories, about novels. 
And of course, even before that, I remember learning to read by reading greeting cards. Those were the days when people sent lots of greeting cards for birthdays, for anniversaries, for, for the holidays or whatever. And my mother would give me those cards to open and read, and those were verses. So I learned to read on poetry, actually. Did they read to you? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. There was a lot of reading to me. You know, my mother in particular read me lots of stories, lots of picture book stories uh, in her lap. When I was little, you know, I'm two years old, and I remember those things. And she herself would write down little stories to, to tell the kids, so... That's, yeah, so yeah. it was in in your early life, the yeah, idea that absolutely. reading and writing and stories, this was right. something of value. Yeah. You became a writer, a journalist, yeah. a person who right. made her living with words. Correct. Do you remember when that began to look interesting to you, that that might be a thing you might want to do? Well, probably in high school. I mean, yeah. I was, you know, I was always writing things. I was editor of the little school paper. So you were yeah. a writer already. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Right. Right. And did you know that that writing was a potential career? Uh, yeah, sure. Because I, you know, when I went away to college, I went to a journalism uh, school. Okay. Yeah. So, so you chose journalism as mm-hmm. opposed to poetry or novel writing mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. or play playwriting. Yeah. Do you remember what your motivation for that was? I like that style of, of writing. I have to say I like factual writing, and I think I carry a lot of that e- even into poetry that I write today. I, I like facts. I like truth, real news. So that, you know, that has always been a guiding principle for me. Not everybody who likes to write has that other component of I want to be writing what is real, what mm-hmm. is true. Mm-hmm. Do you have any idea where that comes from? If I think back to early, early life, particularly if we're thinking of it, because if we're thinking politics as an example, I remember my parents being very active in the, my mother in particular, in the Democrat Party. And she was one of these people who drive people to the polls and so forth. And she and my father would talk a lot around the kitchen table it was the, the Joe McCarthy era. Yes. And talking about the the truth of some of those allegations and what was that all about and how awful that was. So, so I was overhearing a lot of conversation that way. And then, of course, went, you know, years passed and I went to journalism school, uh, eventually ended up in graduate school for journalism. My, my undergraduate ended up being in psychology. Being really schooled in the ethics. There is a code of ethics, just as there's a code of ethics for physicians and psychiatrists and a lot of lawyers. There's a code of ethics that journalists abide by. And the truth is paramount there. And I was taught that that's how you do journalism. If you're writing, if you're reporting, you don't let editorial slip in at all. If you're writing an editorial, that's fine. Go for it. But so, so I kind of come at it, that factual basis was just so drilled into me. Yeah, but it sounds like it was a really natural fit for you, that, yeah. that you, you didn't have to fight to find that. No, um, no, no, no. Right, that, no. That, it, that, that you chose, ironically, it's not ironic, you chose the perfect place mm-hmm. for you. Because yes. it, mm-hmm. it fits all of the things that matter to you. Yes, yeah. 
the ability to write and the ability to be truthful. That's, yes. Yeah. Right. And I, don't, I don't think everybody has that, but I, I think it's lovely, actually. Um, so I heard you say, sort of as a throwaway, I did my undergraduate in psychology. What was that about? Well, uh, why did I do that? I don't even remember. Well, was it a choice when you went to journalism school? Did they say, well, you're in journalism school, but you don't have to major in that? Or No, no. I just got... I, you know, when you are in, in college and you're young and you're taking courses, you, you, you take a smattering of courses, and the psychology courses were particularly interesting to me, so I switched my major. Then in graduate school, when I came back after working for a while, I wanted to go into journalism. And it, so what did you work at in the break? Did you play around with psychology? That- no. Um, I was going to go to graduate school in clinical psychology, but I have to say that, that wasn't extraordinarily interesting to me. I, I was more interested in experimental psychology, but but where I lived, that wasn't really a choice. And uh, on a whim, I stopped by the IBM offices and was hired by IBM. So I went to work uh, for IBM as a systems engineer for about seven years. My goodness. Before, before leaving there, uh, to go back to go to graduate school, and I was going to return to IBM, had, and decided not to. It's a rather circuitous route, mm-hmm. right? right? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, but you know, but still talking about what's what's really interesting, though, to me, because you've brought up this idea of uh, truth and mm-hmm. integrity and yes. so forth. IBM fit me. The integrity of that company, their adherence to truthfulness and honesty with customers was, I assume it still is, it certainly was then so profound that that also was a big influence on me. You have to be honest with people. You can't disparage others. You must be honest. Okay, so so you go to graduate school Mm -hmm. and you get a degree Mm -hmm. in journalism. Mm -hmm. And you have all of this varied experience. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? Well, I went to work in, uh, in Cincinnati at um, the PBS station there, WCET, as the marketing manager. Because, well, I'd had the, all the IBM experience, so they liked that. And there was a lot of writing involved in that job and a lot of communicating to be done. And uh, in, in uh, those days, uh, that station had the two largest and best sound stages in the Midwest. So as a result, we were constantly trying to sell time in those studios to do cable television productions. So there was a lot of communicating in in that way, a lot of writing about that, that kind of thing. So that was was kind of an interesting experience. So how long did you do it and then what did you do? I did three or four years and, and then I went out on my own. I had a small PR company for a while, did and you wrote for clients. Yeah, mainly medical clients. Because in those days, now what medical facilities had a lot of money for marketing. Really? In those days. I, I don't remember why, but they did. And I was living in Cincinnati, Ohio, and that's a huge medical community there. Within a short drive, shorter than it took me to drive from my house to yours, there were then, probably still are, 20 hospitals. So as a result, there was a lot of work for people who could do things like annual reports and 
marketing brochures and so forth. So I did that for quite a while, and, and then I started teaching at the University of Cincinnati, and, uh, and very soon was there full time. For how long do you teach? Uh, ten years. Ten. Okay. Yeah. And then you retire. You retire from teaching, right? Yes. And retired, and, if, and then found Sarasota and moved down here. And there, there was a wonderful bookstore downtown called Sarasota News and Books. Yes. It formerly had been known as Charlie's News, and they had been downtown for 35 years or something like that. And I was thrilled that there was this great independent bookstore close to where I lived. And then it closed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know I complained <laughs> bitterly, uh-huh. uh, bitterly. Yeah, for a year. How can this town not have an independent bookstore? It doesn't make any sense. This is an arts town, and a space opened up on Main Street, and I decided that I would just uh, do it. I took I took that space. I hired the gentleman who had been the manager of Sarasota News and Books, and he was terrific. And he helped me get that started, and it, it, it made it easy to get started. It would have been, I would have done it, but it would have been a real uphill slog uh, without his help, because it would have been a huge learning curve. It was, it was great, and we were in the middle of the block on Main Street, next to two senoritas for, let me think, six years? Then we moved to our current location, the corner of Maine and Palm, uh, about a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Okay, so th- this is a shift from the kinds of things that you were doing and mm-hmm. thought of yourself as. Right. I mean, I understand that it's a bookstore and it has writing. <laughs> right. True. Right. But but it's but it's a store, right? Correct. It's, it's a it's a business. Right. And um, did you think about that before you did that? Did you? think would I like to be in business? Do I want to, you know what I'm asking you? Yeah, uh, sure I did. And I thought, no, that's fine. Yeah, I've done that fine before, that, right? Well, we'll give it a try. And, um, you know, but I always had really good people working with me, just the best staff uh, from the, all the way from the beginning. Just terrific people who knew how to run businesses and taught me, you know, Everything, and they still run. They really run the business. I mean, I'm, I'm there to kind of oversee and guide and have the, the, the vision, if you want to use that word. But they're there to make it happen. So, so talk about the vision then. For me personally, this this is a very selfish move. <laughs> <laughs> I I I wanted an independent bookstore, mm-hmm. so I wanted it to be the best of of the bookstores that I have seen in my life. And, you know, I wanted it to have really excellent curated books, things that I think that I would like to read, that my friends would like to read. And and over the years, we've learned what the community would like to read, and we get better and better at making sure the store is stocked with that. And I also wanted it to be a place where authors could come and, and read their work and where the community could meet those authors. And... It has evolved beyond just authors to other kinds of community events and, and discussions. Uh, you know, other things happen. Yes, just yesterday we had a play reading in the store. One of our very talented, all our employees are so talented. Uh, one, Roxanne Baker, had just written a play. And 
she brought in a cast. We had a full house of people listening to the first read of this play. Wow. So, you know, there's nothing to do with an author with a book to sign. And, but we do a lot of community events that aren't directly related to writing. I mean, we've, we've had architects from the community in to talk about development in the town. We've had the city planner in to speak. Uh, we've had, uh, you know, a couple of times already and a third time coming up, we've had Jerry Springer in to lead discussions on politics. We're, we're in the process of having a whole, more or less a month-long Bridge to Japan series of events. Jay Rubin is one of Murakami's main translators from Japanese into English. And he has just had a book come out that he edited. It's a book of Japanese short stories. So he's coming into town and he agreed to come to the bookstore. So we got to thinking about doing a series of events around uh, Japan. So we've already had a, an Ikigama demonstration. We're having an origami demonstration next week. We have a lecture uh, on the on the culture of Japan this coming Sunday. There are three book clubs, actually four, associated with Japanese literature. And then, of course, Jay Rubin will be there December 9th talking about translating from the Japanese into English. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a full full plate of events. Yeah. yeah, what it sounds like to me is that this is your playground. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that, yeah. that you can essentially do whatever you want. Well, yeah, I can. I can. But I want to do, it's just not such a matter of do, doing what I personally want, even though that's true, I can do that. But what I think the community is going to be interested in. There seems to me to be a through line from the idea of truth and honesty and integrity mm -hmm. to what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. When you come back to the idea of the honesty, a lot of people have asked me why over the past years we've had politicians in, into the store who some people have, Mike Huckabee, uh, Ben Carson, uh, Charlie Crist, Paul Ryan are among those who have come when they have had books. Why do you do that, I'm asked. And the reason is because I believe that politicians, whether we agree with them or not, the majority of them are good people trying to do their best. Just because they and I don't have the same idea of as what, to is, what best. is best doesn't mean that they don't have the right to be heard. And in a book, they can say what they need to say fully. If CNN or somebody like that gets in front of them with a microphone, let's say you're Mike Huckabee as an example, a lot of the media just wants the really, the sound bite that's really going to grab an audience, that right. sounds really just provocative, right? instead of putting anything into context. Books are the way these people can do that. So that's, that's why I, you know, talking about speaking truth, that's uh, yeah. why I like to have people who, who, who need to be heard. There is a very clear through line yeah. in virtually everything that you have done. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. Right, I mean, truly we're lucky mm. to have it because as you point out, feelings are running so high mm -hmm. that people are less willing 
to listen to yeah. anything that yeah. doesn't sound like what they want to hear. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Okay. So, do you have aspirations? Do you have things you have yet not yet done that you're curious about or interested in or? Well, you know, there's not anything that's right on, on the top of my list. But, you know, if, who knows? Something might rear its head and I may get, oh, yeah, let's do that. You know, that, and one of those things really was the, the Poetry Life Festival that I've done every year. I guess this 2019, I think, will be the eighth year, seventh year, eighth year uh, of it. And that's one of those things that I thought, you know, poetry is really terrific. And it's pretty rare that people in a smaller town, if you're in New York, you get to hear all the big poets all the time, right? It's fine, just go down the 92nd Street, why, right, right, and there right, they are. Right, right. But when you're in Sarasota, you're, we're not getting that. So I started uh, the Poetry Life Festival, and we've had the top, top poets come through here every year when, you know, pretty much a full house of people to, and we do that at Florida Studio Theater. Uh, just because we need a larger space. When is that? When will that be again? Uh, this uh, this year it's on President's Day, which is February 18th. That's a Monday. And there are two events. In the uh, early in the day at 11 o'clock, we have a discussion with the poets and a moderator, followed by lunch, so people can continue to stay and talk about what they've heard, and then a reading in the evening. And this year our poets are Terence Hayes who is a National Book Award winner, fabulous poet. Uh, and he's also the poetry editor of New York Magazine. <laughs> and we're also having uh, Simon Armitage, who is a British poet, who's a British rock star poet over there, because he, he's mainly a poet, but he's also a playwright and a musician. So he'll be with us. And our discussion that morning is going to include a local jazz musician, terrific uh, musician by the name of Bill Buckman, and Kate Alexander, who is an actor. And we're going to be talking about how poetry influences and indeed is the heart of the arts. That's right. Yeah. It's wonderful. So that's going to be the discussion. And then the two, the two poets, uh, Simon Armitage and uh, Terrence Hayes, will read that evening from their own work. So that's what we do, and we do that every every year. It's it's wonderful. Yeah. Okay. So I only have one other question. Yeah. Having given a life to the various ways in which a person can use writing, mm -hmm. would you what would you say about what that's like, or what you think about it, or feel about it? Well, I you know I think. Communicating is the most important thing that in in the world, and communicating openly and honestly, anything from personal relationships to international relations, it's all about communication, and mainly it's in the form of a written word, because even if there's a speech given, somebody has written that speech, so it's all about the written word. And at this point, I think the most important profession in the world is journalist. Mm. And I would love to see more young people go into that profession 
and take it seriously. It's a dangerous profession around the world, but how else do we hear the truth if not for journalists, you know, adhering to that code of ethics that I talked about, reporting back to us and knowing for sure and having huge confidence that these trained journalists, whether it's the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Guardian, all of these newspapers uh, that we respect, to be confident that they are telling us the truth, the truth is they see it, they're only human, they can only see it and report it as they see it, but we're getting the truth and it's unfiltered truth. And I can't think of any higher calling than that. So that's, you know, that's the written word. That's more important than my writing a poem in the morning or anything like that, or anybody else writing a poem in the morning. Sorry, all you <laughs> wonderful poets out there. But yeah, journalism is key. I think that's a great place to stop. Okay. Thank you so much, Georgia Thank Court. you. My pleasure. So, when you listen to Georgia, you can hear what it sounds like to be the person you really are. Because at every moment in her life, Georgia was clear about who she was and what she was willing to do and unwilling to do. What she was willing to participate in and unwilling to participate in. And this brought her to many different activities and occupations. And, as she says, whatever comes along, if it fits her, she'll do it, even if it requires a big learning curve and an uphill slog. But now, Bookstore One is keeping her busy, and we hope that you will come out to enjoy the culmination of the celebration of Bridge to Japan, which is happening on Sunday, February 9th. As always, I hope you got something you can use from this show, something that inspired you to ask yourself, is this how you feel about your life? Do you always know what fits you and what doesn't, what's important to you and what isn't? And are you able to honor that? Well, I certainly hope the answer is yes, but if the answer is no, The Lynn Show is about saying that it is not too late to recover what you may have had to leave behind. You see, I'm getting older My hair is turning gray Oh, you say my face and figure I've both seen better days Well, I won't be retiring I won't slip out of sight No, I will not go gentle Into that good night some goddamn boomerang No, I won't go with a whimper I am going with a bang You see that I have had my shot My time has come and gone Oh, won't I please get off the stage Let someone else get on 
I won't be relegated or leave without a fight. No, I will not go gentle into that good night. I won't go with a whimper. I am going with a bang. Life's a bell I keep on ringing, not a chime that I once rang. You may think it's unseemly. Well, I don't give a dang. No, I won't go. From the ashes, every chance I get, I may be running out of time, but it ain't over yet. 'Cause me and Sister Phoenix, we won't give up the flight. No, no, we will not go gentle into that good night, and I won't. I may not be as juicy, hell, but I still got some tang. So you won't hear me simper. I may have gotten limper, but I won't. 